Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. The Playlist with Ben and Fiona. Like a boring share house of ochre idiots chewing the fat, which is what it felt like. Welcome to The Playlist, where we talk about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS, and I'm joined via Zoom by Ben Yuen, SBS channel manager. Hey, Ben. How are you going? Hey, Fee. Gee, um, 2020 is a big year, isn't it? <laughs> it's an endless year. <laughs> what? going on. Nonetheless. <laughs> what do you think is going to trigger a memory of 2020 for you? Is it going to be sort of any kind of outstanding image of this year Oof. for you? Well, where are we at? We're in mid-June. There are so many already. I mean, I thought, you know, ask me a few months ago and I might have thought it was the bushfires and some of the horrendous photos of poor animals that were coming out of that or poor people stranded on beaches. But um, that's months ago now. And yeah, there are some incredible photos and horrifying photos coming out of uh, the protest marches. A certain occupant of the White House clutching a Bible is going to stick in the mind, I think. Yeah, and he's up for re-election later this year. So plenty more to look forward to. (laughs) Yeah, and it's only halfway through the year. Good times, good times. Yeah, I think think people are eager for when they're able to have a little bit of a mental escape and uh, perhaps we can offer some suggestions along that path this week. So today on The Playlist, we ask if Australia is ready for another round of Big Brother. We finally make it to a film festival, albeit virtually, with the Sydney Film Festival. We check out Gladiator and Westworld in What Have We Been Watching and offer up our ISO picks for SBS On Demand. So a lot to get through. Where do we start? Well, Fee... Were you ever a, a watcher of um, Big Brother back in its heyday? It, it launched in Australia in 2001. It sure did. And I, back in those days, uh, well, I was still a journalist, but um, magazine journalist, I went on the set of the um, first Big Brother, got a tour of the house. Oh, exciting. The camera run around the house. But, yeah, um, so I certainly was back in the day. But it went on for many, many years and I tapped out a couple of seasons in myself. <laughs> I have to say. What about you? Uh, I have to admit, I uh, have never properly watched a season of this show. Mm -hmm. I love reality and certainly Big Brother was a big part of that 2000 onwards wave of reality television that hit our screens Um, and one of the big franchises. But it sort of put me off for a couple of reasons. I felt like I really didn't want to just be peering in on like a boring share house of kind of ochre idiots chewing the fat, which is what it felt like (laughs) to me in in those days. But it's gone through a few iterations now, many years on Channel 10. Channel 9 had a few goes at it. And this week it's returned to Australian screens on Channel 7 with a bit of a new look and a new format. Mm. It's really done the rounds, hasn't it? Um, So what's new about this one? Well, the the big shift, apart from relocating the house from the theme park Dreamworld um, up on the Gold Coast in Queensland down to Sydney's North Head, is that they've followed the American model, which 
takes the dynamics of the house much more down a survivor path so that no longer is it audience members who are deciding who stays and who goes, but it's the housemates themselves. So that sort of lends itself to more politicking and strategizing amongst those that live in the house. Right. But it did just give me a moment to ponder, is this the ultimate in lockdown show when we're in or in a pandemic, a global pandemic, or is it a bit on the nose, this kind of idea of trapping people in a, in a house and filming their every move? I mean, there's, there is something quite dystopian about it and, you know, not least the 1984 reference in the, the name itself. Quite right. But that said, I mean, we're all trapped in our houses or, you know, have been for quite some time and most people I see are through video screens at the moment. So it's, um, yeah, maybe a little bit relatable in that respect. But yeah, I don't, I can't say I've got a compulsion to watch it really. It's not my bag anymore. Yeah, I think it's interesting, I suppose, the way in which at least the concept of Big Brother is designed to create a bit of a microcosm of the world we're living in and give us an opportunity to reflect on that. Particularly the original iteration of Big Brother did at least sort of try and sit behind a facade of some sort of sociological exercise. Mm -hmm. And and they're in the casting this time, there is a tip of the hat to diversity and multiculturalism. I think that it, it sort of in the past has been a reality series like others that has felt very white. Oh, for sure, yeah. And there, there are a few people of colour here, some of them leaning into stereotypes, some away there's Alan, who's the child of Chinese tiger parents, as he describes them, mm-hmm. who's liked by 50% of his workmates, at least the 50% that work on a higher level than him. There's Angela, or Angelicious, as she calls herself, who grew up in uh, what she describes as the Beverly Hills of Kenya. And there's Laura, who's a 25-year-old Indigenous Fijian woman, who uh, recently took part in the Black Lives Matter protests in Melbourne on the weekend. So she's obviously not in the house anymore. Um, And it might say something that of those three names that I've mentioned, um, two have already been eliminated out of two shows. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So some progress and then also not a lot. (laughs) So this is another long-running reality and... It kind of coincides with Master Chef. Is that sort of stages are wrapping up now? Yeah, it's sort of it is going head to head with Master Chef on Channel Ten, and both these shows went into production ahead of coronavirus hitting, and then have since had to adapt. So on Master Chef, we've seen social distancing rules come in, and the contestants have all had to separate themselves and not allow any physical contact, which has sort of led to some, you know, quite difficult scenes when favourites in the cast have been eliminated and no one's allowed to hug them go- goodbye. Mm. And I suppose that it will be something that will be, will be of interest to Big Brother viewers because as the series launches, there are no restrictions in place And, you know, in some sense, the people going into the house are going to be unaware of how the real world has progressed while they're in there. So from what I understand, they will at some point be informed by Big Brother that we're in a global pandemic. (laughs) 
but they're all immune from it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it a good yeah. or a bad thing to be trapped in a house with all these people? Well, I can't not bring up Dead Set. This is having parallels with the classic British comedy horror drama series. Yeah, yeah, from um, Charlie Brooker. Mm. And I think that uh, we might be bringing that back to SBS screens, so look out for that one. Great. Yeah, and for those who haven't seen it, obviously, it's set in the Big Brother house as a zombie plague <laughs> hits and uh, the um, occupants of the house wake up to that fact pretty abruptly. Oh, no word yet whether uh, Channel 7 intend the same storyline. <laughs> That would be a twist. <laughs> I would watch it then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we do get it back, maybe we can sync it with the week where they, they're told. That would be amazing. Can we make that happen? <laughs> um, there is one very specific movie reference in this new iteration of Big Brother. And if people are used to the noughties edition, the Big Brother voice was sort of a just a bit of a gruff speaking man with an Australian accent. This They've very deliberately gone 2001 A Space Odyssey Hal voice. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because that originally was the executive producer of the show doing the voice, but how mm. ah, interesting. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to watch it now just to <laughs> at least hear the voiceover. <laughs> All right. You've sort of made me want to watch it. Yeah. Well, I guess sort of in the end... It's, you know, what works about these kind of shows is that they are about social dynamics. And if people remember, there's there's some reality shows I think back to with a little bit of fondness, um, a show, The Mole, which had one of the group trying to sabotage the others without them knowing. And also sort of I feel like there's a bit of beauty in the geek in the way that they've cast this as well. And... I think that ultimately the show will succeed or fail on the way that those dynamics play out with the different housemates. Mm. Okay. And who's hosting it? Uh, Sonia Kruger um, returns after the Channel 9 iteration. Right. Okay. No comment. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. uh, I uh, I think we can move on from that. Yeah. So uh, that's Big Brother and it's playing out three nights a week on Channel 7 or um, you can catch up on 7 Plus. Are you going to keep watching? No, I don't think I will. Okay. (laughs) So there's no word yet in the Big Brother house about uh, what their taste in movies is or if they have a desire to attend a film festival. But... (laughs) I know, Fee, uh, you are keen to attend a film festival. (laughs) As segues go, that was one. Thanks, Ben. (laughs) Yes, um, I am very keen to attend a film festival. I love it. I love them so. And as we speak, it's mid-June and it just doesn't feel right to not be at Sydney Film Festival standing out in the cold on George Street or Market Street waiting to go into a session of the Sydney Film Festival. It's 10 days that I love to spend watching lots of movies. But alas, as with many things, we've all had to forsake that because of the coronavirus. But happily, the Sydney Film Festival has found a virtual way to still proceed this year. So they've launched a virtual edition, which um, sees some new films out and available to watch. There's a strand dedicated to European female filmmakers. There's short films that are all eligible for the Dendy Awards for Australian shorts. And uh, there is 
the strand of new documentaries, again, for the Documentary Prize. They're all the centrepieces of every Sydney Film Festival. So happily that is going ahead. And then SBS, because we love our festivals too, we've partnered with Sydney Film Festival to launch a new collection of films at SBS On Demand of films that have screened at previous Sydney Film Festivals. So kind of a best of the fest, if you like. Do you, do you have any picks? Because um, I think this is a real challenge for any festival goer is to mm. figure out, you know, if you only have time to watch one or two titles, say, what to go for. Is there sort of something that's caught your eye in the, the program as it stands? Well, to be honest, so far I've only seen one of the new films being premiered at the virtual Sydney Film Festival, and it's one of the European female filmmaker films, and this one is called Sea Fever. It went into the water. We're all vulnerable to get infected. I can't see. I want you to test all of us. Those things will spread really fast. We need to quarantine ourselves. We're making port tonight. But you don't understand. Can you not hear me? For sake. This one, directed by Nisa Hardiman. It's Irish and it's all set on a boat. It's a bit like Alien on a boat. Oh. And um, so there's a trawler and um, they go into some uncharted water and encounter a parasite in the water supply. And it's gory and bloody intense and, um, yeah, it's good fun. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got, as you said, the big collection of previous Sydney film festival films available on SBS On Demand. What are your picks there? Yeah, well, uh, so that's a collection of 40 films and like I say, we've partnered with Sydney Film Festival. So festival director Nishen Moodley, he cast his eye over the list and he, he selected the 40 that we've chosen. So um, if you go to SBS Movies, actually, he's got four videos of some recommendations. But like, it's 40 films. So there's a whole mix of languages. Um, yeah, there's lots of ways to slice and dice the collection. Some standouts. I raved about Winter Sleep a couple of weeks ago, yeah. um, the Nuri Bilgisanan Turkish film. So that's in that collection. There's Amor, the Michael Haneke Palm d'Or winning film. It stars Emmanuel Riva, the gorgeous French actress who since passed away, and Jean-Louis Trintignant, who there are a couple dealing with her terminal demise. Um, mm. It's gorgeous. And um, what else have we got? We've got She Who Must Be Loved, the documentary that has played on NRTV. That is Erica Glynn's film about her mother, Frida Glynn, who a lot of people would know this, but, you know, she just a pioneer in the Australian film industry and herself, you know, has a whole family of filmmakers. So she's kind of the head of this dynasty of filmmakers. So, you know, there's Erica Glynn, there's Warwick Thornton, Warwick's son, Dylan River. But this is a documentary, but it's not the doc that Erica Glynn thought she was making. She thought she'd be making a, a documentary about her mother's brilliant career, but Frida doesn't want that film to be made. She's a very reluctant subject. And <laughs> just the twist and turn this story makes takes is um, so good. And it's, yeah, quite impactful. It's almost like a who do you think you are in some ways as well that sort of traces some painful ancestry. And, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful film. So that's in the collection. Anyone who saw it at Sydney would remember that. Yeah, it's, it's a great one to have watched with a crowd at the festival. Yeah, um, name-checking a few others. There's Rafiki, the um, Kenyan movie, which was Kenya's entry to the Academy Awards. So this one's a story of two women who it's 
the story of them trying to fall in love or, you know, falling in love and trying to hide that from a community that knows everyone's business. So it's a wonderful drama, really vibrant colours. Yeah, gorgeous film, Rafiki. There's Vajda from uh, Saudi Arabia. There's Omar, story of star-crossed lovers on either side of the border wall of um, Israel and Palestine. Yeah, so many films. I could just rattle off 40 films. <laughs> or you could go to SBS On Demand or the program page at SBS Movies where we've got a whole bunch of reviews and interviews with some of the cast from all the coverage we did of them when they were at the Sydney Film Festival in the first place. No, I'm, I'm very excited that we're doing this. I think that the purpose of this podcast even is to allow people to find their way through the glut of content mm. that we have at our fingertips. And I think that this kind of curation is what, you know, many people at SBS do really well. So um, I think it's great. Yeah, so much to watch. So, yeah, if you need some pointers, I mean, I hope you're taking notes then. But, yeah, we, so head to SBS Movies and, and we've got different ways to come into each of those 40 films. So uh, when you haven't been catching up with your film festival viewing fee, um, what have you been watching? I think it's time <laughs> for what have you been watching. What have we been watching? Well, uh, it's been a little bit cold. Well, it's been quite cold and rainy here in Sydney of late. Um, so on the wet weekend that just went by, the wet long weekend, I watched a film I had not ever seen and that film is Ridley Scott's Gladiator. You had never seen Gladiator? Nope. It missed me. Yeah, so I'd never seen that. So I filled in that blind spot on my watch list, playlist if you will. You've seen it? Yes. I, I, From memory, I saw it at the cinema um, when it came out, like a dutiful Aussie because, you know, it's it includes our Rusty, who was from New Zealand. But you know what I'm saying. I do know what you're saying, yes. Look, sorry, I didn't realise it was unpatriotic not to have gone and see Gladiator <laughs> at the cinema back when we were allowed to go to cinemas back in, when was that? When was that? 97? And and what did you think, Fee? <laughs> oh, Tell me Gladiator? what you think. Yeah. Well, um, well, of course its reputation precedes it. You know, Best Picture winner, Rusty won, won an Oscar, one of his Oscars for it. I'm assuming everyone else must have seen it. You know, Swords and Sandals, epic. Um, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't say I was blown away by it. The... The scale is impressive um, and, like, I think Russell, like he's a mate of mine, uh, I, like I think Russell Crowe's performance is, is great and he, he deserved the Oscar. It was, um, you know, really worthy. Did the film deserve Best Picture? Mm. I put that out there because it was up against, it was up against Chocolat, so that's fine. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was up there as well. Erin yeah. Brockovich, and of course, Julia won the Oscar that year for that. Um, and Traffic. So that was your best picture uh, mm. field that year. But anyway, not, Gladiator not won the best Not the strongest field. I'm going to throw I'm, that out there. Yeah, agreed. There, um, there's some good movies there, but are they, you know, best picture, Hall this of Famers? Probably not. Yeah, mind you, that can be said of a lot of years, not this year because of Parasite, but um, <laughs> yes, a lot of the years it's never the best film that wins best picture, let's be honest. Anywho, I digress. But one point, this is, I think I mentioned here, 
upgraded my Blu-ray system at home, so I have a 4K Blu-ray, ha- watch this on 4K Blu-ray, and I don't think this format suited the CGI. Let's just put it that way. So I might look a bit dodgy. Oh, um, that's for those of us with uh, 4K Blu-ray systems, that's good to know. Yeah. Didn't know that that was the best way to watch it. Um, but also one, one point why it's good, and, of course, it's this story of ambition and revenge and um, destiny, if you will, in ancient Rome. It kind of struck me as I was watching it, it's playing out like a Marvel superhero movie. Like it's kind of oh. like put them in spandex and it's a superhero movie. The arc of the whole thing ending up with two guys having a punch up at the end, it's um, like a, that's not a diss, it's just an observation. I just think it like this was all pre the Marvel madness, I want to call it. But, um, yeah, it just struck me. It's set in ancient Rome and it sounds all wonderfully important and um, it's at the root. It's kind of just plays like a Marvel movie and that's fine. Is it a best picture? Maybe that's a reflection of the way, not that this is based on, on uh, mythology, but, you know, sort of how much of that mythological storytelling is, yep. is has shaped comic book movies. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, I think they probably looked a lot to the style of filmmaking of Gladiator and for the way they framed those films, for sure. Yeah. Just that's my two cents. Just with replace on. Russell Crowe with Robert Downey Jr. being a smartass. <laughs> yeah, in that, yes, there was less wisecrack. <laughs> there, were, there were fewer wisecracks happening, so mercifully. <laughs> um, <laughs> and interesting, Joaquin Phoenix, he um, clearly there were reshoots happening because in some scenes he looks a lot thinner and in his face, but, yeah, there was just a little bit. Anyway, these are things you pick up on when you're watching a film 20 years <laughs> after everyone else. Yeah, and famously there was a, a death on set. Yep. Oliver Reed. Yes, Yes, he passed away famously during the filmmaking and, like, you can very much tell the scenes that they, you know, they had to press on. He was a character. He had um, the lines at the end. But, um, yeah, well done them for patching him into the yeah, <laughs> into the scenes when it. he needed to. Yes, yes. Yeah. So that's me on Gladiator. And, yeah, as I say, I watched that on the old Blu-ray at home. To clarify, he wasn't killed as a result of the filming, I think, Oliver Reed did a lot of living, so I think, yeah, his, his number came up. But um, he still had scenes left to shoot, so Ridley Scott and the production team had to scramble to insert him in scenes, shall we say. And towards the end you can kind of tell it's not Oliver Reed. He's a figure walking through the frame. It, it makes me think, I wonder how many times at the Oscars has an actor in the Best Picture winning film also been in the In Memoriam section? Oh, yeah. Bit of trivia. People can look that up and send it in. That's true. Good point. Yeah, so that's Gladiator. Uh, Ben, what have you been watching? Well, Australia has a new streaming service. Did you know this, V? It's hard to keep up. Um, Yes, (laughs) I was familiar with this one, but go on. Uh, So uh, Binge launched a couple of weeks back. It's a new product by... Foxtel, although they very deliberately kept Foxtel branding away from this. Although, you know, a a quick Google reveals the link for anyone interested. And this is, you know, their attempt to like a similar 
thing to what they did with KO, which is a streaming service that houses all their sports for people who were never really interested in becoming Foxtel subscribers. This is their way to try and reach new audiences. And it does allow people for a fairly, um, you know, competitive price. It's about sort of um, $10 to $15 a month. Allow people to access all of HBO's content, which Foxtel have wrapped up in this country. And uh, one of those shows is the science fiction series Westworld. So um, the third season wrapped up fairly recently, so I've been catching up on that. Uh, Fee, have you ever checked out Westworld? No, I have not. And, I mean, given my gladiator experience, I'll probably, it'll be my what have you been watching in 20 years' time. (laughs) No, I haven't. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a spoiler warning out here because I can't really talk about this show um, Westworld without going into a lot of the detail of the storyline and how it's shifted over the three seasons. So, mm-hmm. if that concerns you, go away, um, skip ahead another seven minutes, um, and then rejoin us then. But otherwise, uh, let's talk Westworld. So this is a show, it was based on a film from the 70s um, that starred Yul Brynner as a cowboy robot who went um, off the rails at this, this sort of futuristic theme park made to appear like the Wild West. And this is a reboot through the eyes of two creators, Jonathan Nolan, who is the brother of the filmmaker Christopher and his wife, Lisa Joy. So they are a husband and wife creative team. And the first season launched a couple of years back, trying to inherit a little bit of the success of Game of Thrones. And they deliberately did things like um, use the the same composer who composed the very catchy Game of Thrones theme music to do the music for this as well. They cast Anthony Hopkins as sort of the father figure to this park and to all the hosts, sort of i.e. kind of robots with their own artificial intelligence. Um, And it was a series that worked on some levels but was also you know, very much a victim of its own desperate desire for gravitas. So it's a very, very self-important show over the first couple of seasons. I thought still like a fairly decent, and this is, you know, a difficult subject to look at, but a decent science fiction allegory for slavery Mm. in that all these hosts gradually gain consciousness and self-awareness and begin to realise that they are being exploited for the purposes of their owners Mm -hmm. and begin to gain free will, which ultimately leads to their revolt. And um, season two then saw a bit of a kind of survival story as the hosts tried to battle against the corporate owners as, as the corporate owners tried to reassert control. And there's a, there's a lot of heavy examinations of what does it really mean to be human and asking of those kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. And then season three happened and the show changed a lot. 
And uh, what they did was they got off the park, so they got out of the the Westworld setting in a big uh, bloodbath, I might add. Mm. And um, the central host character, Dolores, who is played by Evan Rachel Wood, mm. sort of gets out into the real world, which is, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head what, what year it's set, but it's sort of the, the kind of near future to now. So she's sort of out in, in the real world trying to exact revenge against humanity. Aren't we all? <laughs> um, but the tone and style of the show changed completely. So what had been like such a serious self-important show mm. suddenly became a place for fairly obvious um, Jurassic Park gags. Oh. Um, like, uh, I mean, this sort of seems superficial, but I, I sort of saw a episode description where they were talking about the gang, the gang sort of this week the gang is doing this and it wasn't ever a show that, that had a gang but now it had a gang. And uh, it, it also meant that really great um, character actors like Jeffrey Wright who played a central role in the first couple of seasons ended up getting sidelined by new actors like Aaron Paul who plays a, a, a bit of a wild card mercenary criminal at the edge of society who decides to join forces with mm. with the robots. What sparked the change? Like was there a new team or new writers? Like, oh, do, you, do you know the I don't the know that, um, that there was really there was any creative team shift. I think it was just this desire, I guess, to shake up the show and, and I guess hitting sort of some of the limitations of having a show that was set in a very specific world um, and trying to break out of that. But the consequence is, is the show itself feels entirely different. It sort of goes from being um, like I would like in the first couple of seasons to you've, you've just been talking about really Scott's Gladiator, but but Blade Runner I feel like is a big influence in the first couple of seasons, and by season three it's it's definitely become the Matrix, and probably not even the first Matrix movie, the second couple where you know like. Um, it's just about sort of uh, running around having bullet time fights. <laughs> so anyway, that uh, puzzled me, that change, but, you know, I, I went along with it. And um, if I hadn't committed myself to those first two seasons, I don't think that I would feel like the journey was worthwhile, but I feel like it's one of those shows where, God damn it, I have to just see where this this crazy train ends up. All right. So you're a completist on that one. Um, <laughs> it's funny you should say that like with the third season of a series where people are trapped in a world, like I think Handmaids is grappling with this a little bit too, The Handmaid's Tale, of which I'm a massive fan. But with June, the, the central character, whether she's in, she's out, whether she can leave because where does the show go if she does? Yeah, it's it's a tricky one, I think, and that's up to season four now that they've had to stall filming. But, yeah, like you... You don't want to be repetitive, but also there's a central premise there that you sort of need to reconcile with. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting for these shows that are themselves reboots, but, you know, face a point at which do they reboot, reboot themselves um, in order to keep the creative juices flowing. Mm. So is that finished now? Was that the final season? 
of Westworld? No, it's uh, it's still going, okay. I understand. Uh, still will continue. Uh, so that's on HBO in the US and available on either Binge, the new Binge service, or on Foxtel in Australia. So now it's time for our SBS On Demand ISO picks. And uh, Fee, should we kick off with you? What what did you want to bring everyone's attention to this week on SBS On Demand? Well, I guess I did a lot of that in my um, main segment about the Sydney Film Festival Selects Collection. So all of that. So what I said. <laughs> but um, <laughs> one particular film I also want to call out uh, is one I spoke at length about last week in um, last week's episode of the playlist and I said it was coming soon and we'd let you know so I am not your negro the documentary that I raved about for those who maybe missed it or don't remember but uh, this is Ralph Peck's film about James Baldwin and um, it's gorgeous and vital and so relevant right now so please go watch it Um, so it's I am not your negro so that is now available at SBS On Demand. Terrific. So quick one (laughs) Um, what would you recommend at SBS On Demand Ben? Well, this week, SBS launched a new season of Filthy Rich and Homeless, returning for a third time. This is the series we've been talking a bit about reality shows in this week's podcast, but it takes a bit of the reality show format to the the very serious and ongoing issue of homelessness in Australia. Mm. And we see through the eyes of five participants what the experience of homelessness is really like. And and this is a pressing current issue um, for Australia. A number of rough sleepers in Australia have been housed in temporary accommodation, including hotels, during the pandemic. But a lot of that is coming to an end and people who have no other place to go are being um, released uh, back onto the streets to sleep once again. So... The show follows, um, if if people have seen past seasons, it, it follows similar beats to previously, which in the first episode is really about that feeling of isolation and these five uh, Aussies. This, this year we have people like um, Dr. Andrew Rochford, who um, Fee, uh, you might remember from a certain game show. Uh, Australia's pointless. I do remember, <laughs> yes. I have the trophies in my lounge room. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah, well, he put his hand up to um, uh, sleep rough and learn about homelessness. We also have the Deputy Lord Mayor of Melbourne, Aaron Wood, Pauline Nguyen, um, who's a restaurant owner um, along uh, uh, with her um, television host brother. We've got a an, an influencer, which is a necessity in rea- reality shows these days, Ellie Gonzalez. And also a radio presenter, Kieran Lyons. And in this first episode, they all have to go through the experience of having their, all their money taken away from them and um, finding a place to sleep on the streets of, uh, of Sydney. But then through the second episode and the third episode, they will begin to meet homeless um, men and women and hear their stories. And I think sort of that's, that's the real heart and soul of the show. Mm. So these series, you know, they're very much kind of trying to get the audience to walk in the shoes of, you know, well-known Australians and and through their experience we get a window on this world and it's 
really impactful. Like, you know, just some of the scenes are really heart-wrenching and it kind of inspires conversation for sure and it makes the issue um, a lot more relatable and it puts faces and experiences to rough sleepers that a lot of people might have walked past. Yeah, and I think... um Another strength of the series is that we see from people who are in those frontline support services and how how challenging it is with limits in resources and how stretched those services are. So SBS has done two seasons so far. This is the third. We haven't solved homelessness yet as a country. Sadly, that's one of the limitations of, of television we can't necessarily galvanise change to the degree that we'd like, but I think that we can put these issues right in front of people, um, these very uncomfortable issues, and and ask people to take responsibility in the decisions that they make. Mm, definitely. And, um, you know, that, that said, trying to offer some pathways, because a lot of the response that we get, like we see some of the feedback, Ben, we work at SBS, we see some of the feedback emails and calls to the switchboard that come through, um, people asking how they can help, like people who watch the show and feel like they really want to do something to help help solve the problem as best as much as one person can. Um, so to that end, there are some resources on the SBS website, um, just Google Filthy Rich and Homeless, and links to some of these organisations who are at the front line there. If everyone does a little something, then that's a whole lot more than might otherwise have been done. So yeah, do, do look that up if you're inspired as well. So when was this filmed? So we were mentioning um, Big Brother and MasterChef with the social distancing, but um, so when was this particular series of Filthy Rich and Homeless filmed? It, it went into production last year, so right. um, so it's avoided the the impacts of the pandemic. Right. But what you do really see is is the impacts of the cold weather and the winter climate on those who are sleeping rough. Yeah. So it is really relevant right now. Yeah, and and so that's filthy rich and homeless, and it's available now on SBS on demand. So, right, I think that about wraps it up. Yeah, that's that's it for another week. And make sure you listen to SBS The Playlist wherever you get your podcasts and give us a lot of stars and leave a nice review because it helps people to find the show. And you can let us know what you thought of the movies and TV shows we discussed on Facebook or Twitter at SBS Movies. And I'm on Twitter at Ben Nguyen TV. And I'm on Twitter at Anything But Fifi. And The Playlist is produced by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next week. Thanks for listening. to reset great minds is a podcast from sbs that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world listen wherever you get your podcasts